Happy Easter. Admit it, some of you are just a little bit disappointed right now. You know, Happy Easter. I hope you have a happy Easter. It's a good day to be happy. You know, I, I hope you have time with your family, a good meal. I mean, after all, this is the one time of year where we, as a church, get to band together and support the Hallmark Greeting Card Company. <laughs> Just line their coffers, make sure that they really, uh, uh, you know, show a profit for today. I mean, aren't, aren't you excited about that? I mean, it, it's a great day to be happy because we get to confuse our kids. <laughs> we give them bunnies who lay eggs. You know, and they're <laughs> You know, they, they have no idea what's going on. But, but you know, all of this is, is a lot of fun, and we really should have a lot of celebration. There should be joy. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting the kids together, letting them just, you know, face pain and chase eggs and all these other things like a couple, several hundred children did in our, in our church yesterday. I'm, I think that's a marvelous thing because um, in their minds, that's connecting up joy with Easter, and, and uh, certainly nothing wrong with that. So that's really great. So happy Easter. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, Happy Easter. But let me tell you something. We are not just celebrating a day on the calendar, and we're not celebrating just a good time to be happy. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate the fact that the body they laid in the grave is the body that came out of the grave. I can't explain the biochemistry of it to you. I cannot explain exactly what happened. I can't tell you how, how it worked. But what I know is that the hands that were nailed, pierced, were laid in the grave. Those same hands came out, and had he shown them to us, we would recognize him. We would know that the side that was pierced was laid in the grave. That same body came out of the grave, and you would see the scar on his side. What we know is the body they put in the grave is the body that came out of the grave, and Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. We do not celebrate the resuscitation of Jesus. We do not celebrate the reviving of Jesus. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and there's a massive difference. Jesus rose from the dead. He spent some 40 days teaching his disciples, and then he ascended on high into the very presence of the Father, seated at the right hand of glory. And one day when we gather in heaven, we will look to the throne, and there we shall see him. And here's how we know that it is he. We will recognize him by the nail in his hands. We will see a lamb standing as if slain. The marks of the cross are now born for all eternity, for you and for me. The marks and the scars of our sin so that we can be in heaven with no scars at all. He bore that for us. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, without the resurrection, without the resurrection, you don't have Christianity at all. Without the resurrection, we don't have hope at all. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for our sins. He died in our place. The wrath that we deserve was put on his shoulders. The penalty, the punishment that we deserve was placed upon Jesus Christ. The guilt that is ours was given to him. And so on the cross, he died in our place. But he died, and three days later, he was raised... And thereby, God the Father declared, this is my Son in power. That's what the book of Romans says. Declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection. 
And when he was raised from the dead, that was God's certification. The father saying, I accept the sacrifice of my son. And because of the resurrection, we know that salvation is completed in Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, we have no hope at all. It's not the case that the resurrection is a wonderful metaphor that helps us think about the possibility of new beginnings. The resurrection is not aligned with butterflies coming out of the cocoon, rainbows shining after the storm. The resurrection is not some happy poetic idea that is simply to give us a sense that maybe if we try one more time we can make it. No, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is his triumph over death. Death is no more. He is alive and we live with and in him. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ not because we think that there's optimism, but because we know there's life in Jesus Christ. And so without the resurrection, there's no Christian faith. Without the resurrection, there hope. Without the resurrection, there is no life. Without the resurrection, there is no direction, meaning, or purpose. It is only in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that all this comes together. And when we celebrate that today, we are celebrating it because Jesus is risen from the grave. But we did that last week. And we're going to do it next week because we are going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every day, every week. Whenever we gather together, it is in the presence of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's why happy Easter is great. Say happy Easter to me. I hope you have a happy Easter. But somewhere along the way, here's what I want you to say. He is risen. John's Gospel, chapter 20. And we'll pick up the story at uh, verse 19. In the first 18 verses, the women have come to the tomb, Mary Magdalene in particular, and they find the tomb empty. The stone is rolled away. By the way, the angel rolled the stone away not to, keep, not to let Jesus out. <laughs> you know, it's not like a stone could keep Jesus out. The angel rolled the stone away to let the women in, to let the apostles in, to let the witnesses in to see what had happened. And so they come to the tomb. The stone is rolled away. They have no idea what's going on. And to, just to give the highlights partially of the story, uh, Mary runs to the disciples and she says, look, they've taken the Lord. I don't know where they've put him. We have no idea where he is. And so John tells us that Peter, the apostle Peter, runs to the tomb. But John also says, and the disciple whom Jesus loved ran with him. We presume that's John referring to himself. I guess he just couldn't help it, but he said, and John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, ran faster than Peter. <laughs> Is that a guy thing or what? But he, you know, he's, and he ran faster than Peter, and he got to the tomb, and he stopped at the door, and he looked in, and he saw the grave clothes folded neatly. But nobody. And Peter comes along, and as is his custom, Peter just barrels on in. You know, goes right by, you know, right into the tomb. And he's looking around, and there's there's no one there. There's just the grave cloths folded neatly. And John goes in, and he looks. By the way, if you steal a body, you don't fold the grave clothes neatly. By and large, you take them with you. And if you don't take them with you, you just throw them out. 
I mean, the, the idea that the body was stolen is ludicrous. But anyway, and so, so they see that and they believe and they go back to the disciples. And then Mary, of course, has her encounter with Jesus in the garden. And that's where we pick up the story. We pick up the story in verse 19. John chapter 20 says, On the evening of that day, the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. John wants us to realize that it's still the first day of the week. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you will withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Bow with me in prayer, please. Gracious Father, thank you for bringing us to this place, to this time of worship and celebration, to this time when we lift up Jesus and we exalt him among the nations. Thank you, Father, that the tomb is still empty. Thank you, Father, that he still gives resurrection power to those who believe in him today. Thank you, Father, that those who have faith in Christ Jesus are raised out of the death of sin and into a newness of life. Thank you, Father, for all you have done for us in Christ. And we pray that in our worship and our celebration, we might also become more deeply committed to sharing and proclaiming that this Jesus is risen. This Jesus lives to save the lost. This Jesus lives to redeem those who are enslaved. And so, Father, as we thank and praise you, we also open our hearts to you that your Holy Spirit would possess us and then use us for your glory. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Time to time, I'll be having a conversation with a person who gets around to saying something like, well, Pastor... Do you ever have any doubts? And my answer is always yes, I have plenty of doubts. Some people find that very reassuring because we all have doubts. They find it reassuring to think that it's possible to struggle along in the Christian faith and still have questions and still have doubts, still have things that confuse us, still have things we can't quite explain, but nonetheless, we are in the walk with Christ and that's progressing and so it's okay to have doubts. Other people look at me in horror. It's almost like they want to say, you have doubts? What do we pay you for? You're not supposed to have any doubts. How can I trust you? You don't have all the, all the answers. 
Well, the fact is, we all have doubts. I thank God for the doubts I have had. And here's why. Every question I've had over the years of walking with Christ, every question I've had that seemed to be a challenge to our faith, I found that if you think about it long enough, pray about it, search the scriptures about it, read what others have said about it, that eventually God will give you an answer to that question. I mean, this started when I was in college at the university and the, uh, uh, the Bible professors would bring up some obscure fact that I didn't know about and they'd say, aha, that destroys your faith. I'll give you an example. You know that the entire development of the Christian scriptures can be explained by the Tübingen hypothesis. When you're a college student, you don't know what the Tübingen hypothesis is. That sounds deadly now, doesn't it? <laughs> Somewhere, somebody invented the Tübingen hypothesis. Well, then all you've got to do is study up. What is the Tübingen hypothesis? Where did it come from? Who invented it? What does it say? And you realize there's nothing to it. By the way, those of you getting ready to go to college, if anybody throws the Tübingen hypothesis at it, you just tell them there's nothing to it. But challenges to, to the faith, and, and I've known the, the kinds of questions we had. You know, we have doubts and questions. What about the existence of God? How can there be a good and glorious God if there's so much evil in the world today? It's a devastating argument. How can you look at the Holocaust, for example, and still think that there is a good God? And you, and you struggle with that, and, and a lot of people have struggled with it. It's the problem of good and evil, the technical name, the problem of theodicy. And you're trying to figure out, how does that work? And then it dawns on you one day, actually, the Holy Spirit gives it to you. It's not that, how can there be evil if there's a good God? The question is, how can there be good if there's no God at all? How can there be meaning and purpose if there's no God at all? See, at some point, you just have to have faith and work with it. And so we all have doubts. We all have questions. It's okay to have doubts, and it's okay to have questions, because a lot of times, God uses those questions to grow us and to show us and to deepen us in our walk with him in Christ. I want for us this morning to look at a man that is known as Doubting Thomas. You see where we're going with this now. Doubting Thomas, who um, has come down in the pages of church history as the supreme example of someone who was a doubter. In fact, these days we use the term to refer to anybody who's skeptical or doubting or just sort of hesitant about following along. Oh, you're a Doubting Thomas. And I want to show you this man and show you how God used his question. And by the end of this, this morning, by the end of our time together, you will never call him Doubting Thomas again. What you will do is you will call him Honest Thomas, because that's who he is. Let's pick up the story. We were reading it a little bit earlier. Uh, Jesus, on the, uh, on the end of the day in which he was raised, on the first day of the week, I want you to notice that. They were together on the first day. The first day is Sunday. They were together in church. Why were they together in church on Sunday? Because that's what all good Baptists do. And they must have been Baptists. But they were there on the first day of the week, on the day that Christ was raised from the dead. They had gathered together, no doubt, talking about the things they had seen, the things that the women had said. And still, somewhat hesitant, had the doors locked. And suddenly Jesus appears in their midst. 
I imagine that caused a little bit of a stir because the next thing Jesus says is, calm down, boys. He says it better than that. He says, peace be with you. You know, just, just calm down. Easy there. Look, I want to show you something. I want to show you my hands. I want you to show you my side. You know where these came from, don't you, boys? You know I'm the only one who has these marks. You know you can't fake these. And when they saw that, they just rejoiced. There was Jesus. It was all true. When they saw him for themselves. And then Jesus goes on to say, peace I give to you, and, and uh, my peace I give to you. And then uh, uh, the, the command to go out and to proclaim the gospel that, that, uh, that offers forgiveness of sins. And so they're having a really great time with it. And as a matter of fact, that night, Thomas wasn't there. Now, this is a lesson to all of you. Do not skip church. You see what happened to Thomas? But Thomas shows up, and the guys come over to him and say, Tom, look what's happened. We have seen the Lord. And Thomas says, really? You're pranking me, aren't you? You got together, and you thought it would be funny to lead Thomas along a primrose path. You thought it would be, be kind of amusing to have me go in with this thing. But let me tell you something. Unless I can see his hands and see the nail prints, unless I can put my finger into those nail prints, unless I can put my hand into his side, unless I can verify for myself and touch him and see him for myself, I will never believe. He was a perfect rationalist. He was a perfect counterpart to your neighbor, to your, uh, I was going to say cellmate, but uh, your office mate. It's almost the same thing. (laughs) But but, uh, he was a perfect counterpart to that. It's a person who says, I won't believe unless I can see it, unless I can touch it. Of course, that's absurd. The best things in life you can't see and touch. The most beautiful things, the most loving things, the most majestic things. You can't touch their majesty, their beauty. You can't touch love. So it's an absurd thing to say. But a lot of people say that. And and in fairness to Thomas, all he was doing was saying, look, guys, I've got to have the same experience you did. You got to see him, and they did. You got to touch him, and they did. So Thomas says, that's all I want for myself. The same thing you got I want. All right? He says, until that happens, I'll never believe. And that's why he's called Doubting Thomas. It really isn't fair. Let me, let me tell you the other things we know about Thomas. There was an incident, it's back in John chapter 11, where Jesus and the disciples get word that their friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, that, that's fine. And he just sort of hunkers down for a while. And then the word comes that Lazarus is dead. And Jesus says, let's go. He's dead and I want to go. I've got an object lesson here to show you. A pretty good one, by the way. But he says, let's go. And Lazarus lives in Judea. The disciples say, Jesus, have you forgotten that in Judea they want to kill you? If you go to Judea, they're going to kill you. And they did. Jesus said, well, I'm going. Jesus gets up. He walks out. Disciples are sitting there. And I, I can just see Thomas. He's sitting there. I hate it when he does this. I hate it when he does this. He knows that I know what he wants me to do. 
And Thomas gets up and he says to his fellow disciples, he says, let us go also that we may die with him. Let us go also that we may die with him. And the fact of history is that Thomas got up and he went with Jesus to Jerusalem, to Judea. And ultimately, Thomas died for the sake of the faith if tradition be held. Let us go with him that we may die with him. That's not doubting Thomas. That's a man who loves Jesus so much he can't stand the thought of Jesus going into danger alone. That's not one who doubts who Jesus is. That's one who knows who Jesus is and wants to be with him when the danger comes. That is a man who is so devoted to Christ that nothing will keep him from following in the footsteps of Jesus. This is a man to be admired. This is courageous Thomas. This is Thomas who in the moment of crisis, go or no go, said, yes, it's a go for Jesus. And he gets up and he goes with him. That's how much he loved Jesus. The other thing we know about Thomas comes from John chapter 14. This is in the, um, uh, in the upper room. Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples. Judas has gone out. And so Jesus starts teaching. And he says something like this. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come again. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you this. And where I'm going and the way to get there, you know. The disciples are listening to that. They said, what's this mansion thing? He's going to go build mansions. I knew the real estate economy was picking up, but I didn't know that. And now he says, I know where he's going. I have no idea where he's going. And then he says, I, I know the way to get. I have no idea how to get there. And that's what all the disciples are thinking. So Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house, many mansions. And you know the way. You know how to get there. And you know where I'm going. And it's Thomas who says, Jesus, I don't know where you're going. And I don't know the way. You see, Thomas had the courage to ask the question that everybody else was asking. Don't you love it when you're in a discussion and you've got a question and somebody else asks it for you? But this isn't Thomas doubting. This is Thomas seeking. This is Tom, not Thomas hesitant. This is Thomas confessing. Jesus, I really don't know. And I'm glad he asked that question. I'm glad he, that that was a confusion in his mind because when he asked that question, I got to overhear the answer because that's when Jesus said, Thomas, look, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now you know the way. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Now you know where we're going. You see, that wonderful truth came because Thomas had a question. And he was unafraid to ask it. This wasn't doubt. This was courage and this was honesty and openness and seeking. So now we come to this place where the disciples are gathered at a Sunday worship service. And they say, Tom, we've seen the Lord. And Tom says, I'm going to be absolutely upfront and honest with you guys. I can't handle this on my own. Unless I see him, unless I touch him, I'm not going to believe. See, some of us have 
intellectual doubts about things. We don't understand the intricacies of theology. We don't understand all the ins and outs of biblical interpretation. We don't know all the ways in which the Christian faith has explained one problem or another. Uh, And we have intellectual doubts and intellectual questions that we just need information to come back to us, and that'll, that'll help us out. Sometimes we have emotional doubts, and that is we know what God is saying. We just don't feel like doing it. Uh, we know what God has promised. We don't, just don't feel as though it's being fulfilled in our lives. Sometimes we have those emotional doubts. Sometimes we have spiritual doubts where we say, well, Lord, I just don't see the point to it. I don't see why this is happening. I don't see why it's going on. We have those kinds of questions and those kinds of doubts. But if you want to follow a good example, follow the Follow the example of honest Thomas, who loved Jesus too much to leave him and loved Jesus too much to let him go without asking him and seeking him. Take your questions, take your doubts, take every problem you've got, take it to Jesus, and he will answer it. And this is what he did for Thomas, okay? Oh, we move on. Where am I? Okay. Uh, Tom wasn't there. He said, I'll, I'll never believe unless I see that. No. Okay. Verse 26. Eight days later, now understand, and back then if you counted days, you started with the first day, that was day one. So eight days later would be the next Sunday, all right? That, that's what we're talking about. So the next Sunday, they're together again. Why? Because they love church. They just love getting together. Do you see how quickly the people around Jesus started meeting on Sunday instead of Saturday? I mean, this is an amazing thing. To get Jews to stop Saturday and start Sunday would require some kind of miracle. In fact, it required the resurrection. It's one of the, one of the indications and evidences of the resurrection. And here's how quickly it started. The very next week, they're to worshiping on Sunday. So they're together on Sunday again. So uh, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, and I should think so. He wasn't going to get left out this time, he said. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, I love Jesus because he never forgets people who are struggling. Right after the resurrection, and the women saw Jesus, you remember this? Jesus said to them, go tell my disciples, I'll see them in Galilee. Go tell them, and you, you remember what else Jesus said? Go tell them and Peter. Go tell him, and don't forget Peter. He's got to be down right now. He's got to be crushed right now. He denied me, he denied me three times, and he's devastated right now. And in the midst of all the joy and the revelation that he was risen, in the midst of all that, Jesus remembered one person who was struggling. He said, you go tell Peter. That doesn't surprise us at all. Do you remember how often Jesus interrupted his ministry for people who were hurting? He was going down the road and some guy's calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody says, keep going, Jesus. We're off schedule already. You've got to get there. You've got to get there. And Jesus stopped and says, wait a minute, bring him to me. Because Bartimaeus needs me. He was on his way to the, to the household of that, of that ruler who had all the wealth and all the influence and the crowds around him moving along. And he stopped and says, now wait a minute, somebody touched me. And he stopped everything so that he might talk to the woman with the issue of blood. 
And now here he is in the, in the group of disciples. They're all there. Hey, Jesus, how you doing? Great to see you. Wonderful, wonderful. You know. And Jesus stops. And he finds the one man who's in the most agony. And it's Thomas who's struggling. And Jesus said to Thomas, this grace just oozing from there. Jesus then said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. He said, Thomas, here's what you were asking for. Here's the answer. And don't let this doubt and don't let this questioning and don't let this hesitancy, don't live in fear of trusting me. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. It's as if Jesus said, Thomas, doubt no longer. Doubt no longer. Because all you need to do is take one look and you'll know it's true. And that's what happened. Thomas didn't need to touch him. Thomas didn't need to do any more than hear his voice and just look at him. And the scripture says that when Jesus said, believe, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. You see, the atheist says there is no Lord and there is no God. The theologian says there is a Lord and a God. But the believer says this is my Lord and my God. This is the one who reigns over me, who transforms me, who gives me life. This is my Lord and this is my God. Folks, that's the climax. That's the point of the entire gospel of John. Take your highlighter, circle in. This is where we've been headed ever since when we read John some years ago. It starts out with what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? And it comes down to this. It means to bow at the feet of Jesus, Lord and my God. Now, I can't understand all of it can understand the smallest part of it. I can't explain it. I can't fit it into the theological systems. My mind is too small to encompass who Jesus is. But I know this, that he's my Lord and he's my God. And I love him too much to leave him. And I love him too much to withhold my questions from him. You bring it to Jesus. As Lord and God, and he gives you the answer. Now, the, the great thing about Thomas is, from this moment on, every indication, he's on board. We're all together here. You know? he's, he's, he's crossed over from that hesitancy. Now he's, he's firmly believing. He's walking. He's, he's, he's following. But then Jesus says this, because Jesus not only was thinking about Thomas, he was thinking about you. And me. Because then this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Well, duh, Jesus, I was here, you were here, you saw what happened, didn't you? you know, Jesus said, That's why you believed, didn't it, Thomas? You believe because you saw me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have never seen him, yet you love him. Blessed are those who have never touched him, and yet you hold on to him. Blessed are those who have never heard the lilt of his voice, the cadence of his speech. 
and yet you listened to him. Blessed are those who could not describe his appearance, and yet you recognize him. Blessed are those who have not seen him, but still believe. That blessing is yours today if you believe in Jesus Christ. That blessing is yours. It is yours because Jesus said it. And when you believe in Jesus, the risen Lord, then everything else falls into place. Oh, you'll have questions on the side and you'll have doubts and wonderments uh, going on in your head. But you will be centered on he who is King of kings, Lord of lords, who is the purpose behind all creation who brings purpose and meaning to our lives. It's because he's risen from the dead. You look at Jesus and you say, that's who I ought to be. I need to be like that. Why? Because God created man to glorify him. He created Adam and Eve that we would give honor and praise and glory to God. When our parents sinned and we sinned, we violated that purpose. We let go of that purpose and we are on the way to death. But God sent his son incarnate, the word become flesh, and Jesus, fully God and fully man, lived as every human being is supposed to live, without sin, giving total and complete glory to God. And when Jesus died, he died in the will of the Father, and God raised him because death has no power over him. That's who we are in Jesus Christ created for the glory of the Father, created that we might live in the power of the resurrection, created that we might do all things according to the will of the Father. That's who we are. And you see that in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. In the resurrection of Jesus, you see the reason for it all, and that is that we would glorify the Father. See, this is why Jesus was raised from the dead, and he receives glory for it. And what happens when the Son is glorified? The Father is glorified. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so through the Son, we give glory to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit when we believe in the uh, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And so my plea with you is that you would bow at the feet of Jesus and there proclaim, my Lord and my God. Because when you do that, all the doubts, all the questions take care of themselves. Just focus on Jesus, my Lord and my God. And he'll bring you to the Father, bring you into the courts of glory, bring you into the life everlasting, because he has risen from the dead. And because of that, we doubt no more. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, Help us to be more obedient, more yielded, more surrendered. Father, help us to be more given over to who Jesus is. Father, help our lives to become more reflective of who he is. Father, we just want him to get all the praise and all the honor. And so we bow this moment to acknowledge him, Lord and God, over us. And also to surrender to him. Let your Holy Spirit work in our lives and guide us in all these things. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.